Hello, and welcome to another episode of In Conversation. I'm your host, Pat King. Today on the show, I spoke with Jeremy Goddard, the lead singer and songwriter of Toronto indie rock band Kiwi Jr. The band recently released their third album, Chopper, on Sub Pop Records, and while it's filled with songs that exemplify Kiwi Jr.'s winning combination of infectious jangle pop and Goddard's witty wordplay, the record is also a turning point for the band. Linking up with Wolf Parade's Dan Bachner to produce, the album takes a much more serious tone with synths that create thick atmosphere that was not there on the band's previous records. The album also contains some of Goddard's best lyrics to date, as the album is rich in themes that revolve around characters struggling with main protagonist syndrome in a world where it's increasingly difficult to get noticed. In this conversation, we discuss those lyrical themes on Chopper, the influence of film and TV on his writing, the head wound Dan Bachner suffered while recording the album, and so much more. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Pat. How you doing? Hey, I'm good. How's it going? Okay. Sorry to keep you waiting. Oh, it's okay. Um, are you are you working today? I am, yeah, but then I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I was up and then I fell back asleep and I woke up to a text being like, you were supposed to do a podcast 10 minutes ago. So <laughs> I'm, a, I'm slightly... Um, askew right now from reality yeah i'm i'm kind of i don't know i am the worst at just sleeping in general are, are you like that as well like are you an insomniac um i'll say no because i i just fell asleep <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh well i i don't know i wasn't sure if it was because of like a crash from like staying up late or is, uh, is that, is that yeah, how it goes that happens too yeah um where do you work uh just like the office job oh cool but nice. i work from home oh that's awesome that's great yeah i'm 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 at home as well you know <laughs> I, I i'm a writer full-time so i it's you know kind of nice but i don't know how do, how do you like being at home all the time it's okay i would go back to the office probably like half the time if i could yeah Sometimes yeah. you, I just want to go in and just like get a bunch of stuff done, which I can't really do at home. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm, I'm always just like, oh, but all my records are here. Like my guitars are here. Like I can just like, you know, like fuck around if I want, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it's been like a constant theme on this podcast a little bit where I've had guests come on where I've just seen them at Johnny Brenda's. I feel like, you know, it's always like, you know, I'll see a band and then maybe like a month later I'll have them on the podcast. And for some reason or another, something always memorable happens within the crowd at those shows. I feel like when I, when I saw y'all play with weird nightmare at Johnny Brenda's, whenever you rolled through town in Philadelphia, uh, there was, this girl who 
was dancing harder than I've ever seen anyone dance in my life, you know, and just singing along to all the words. And then like you announced from stage that uh, she had been at your New York show and just like followed you guys to the Philly show. Did, did she follow for the rest of the tour or that was the last show that was the last show um no i don't know her but i met her she's from philly um and she had gone up to our delaware show the day before she was dancing as well so she was pretty memorable yeah (laughs) she she was so great and then there was also this like very (laughs) there's this very I don't know. He was like kind of grizzled, bearded dude. And in between songs, he just shouted Nashville wedding. And like, (laughs) I think you, you were just like, Oh, all right. And just played it. And then he proceeded to like go to the front of the stage with his phone and kind of get up in your face and record the whole thing. I thought it was, it was one of the best fan interactions I'd seen at a show, but that, so guy, that guy's a big fan i met him after the show um yeah he knew all the words and stuff he he was a big fan and he was wearing a eagles hat yeah and an eagles shirt i think yeah he was he was he was amazing he looked like i don't know like i i feel like he did that and then i was looking around for him after the after that song ended and was just like, wait, where did he go? Did he just disappear and <laughs> like wanted that one song and just left the show or something? <laughs> I met him after the show. Yeah. He was nice, but I don't know where he went. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been a big fan of, of Kiwi Jr. for a long time. And I, I love this record so much. Um, and, you know, kind of reading up on it, you had worked with Dan Bachner of uh, Wolf Parade of, of Handsome Furs and, and uh, he's now in Arcade Fire, but I'm, I'm sure you're, you might be sick of answering this question, but it, it seems like from what I've read that he almost died making this record. <laughs> you know, I, I read about uh, how he showed up to the studio with a, a giant bloody gash on his head. <laughs> you know, could you kind of explain what happened? Um, well, I'm not going to get into how he hurt himself, but yeah, he, he, um, he did show up day two, day one of the studio. I was like, all right, let's get to work, get the drum sounds, you know, doing bed tracks, drums and bass, mostly scratch guitar. It was like real sort of middle of the road, um, you know, normal studio approach. And then day two, I was a bit late. I got there and Dan was already there and he just was like fully bleeding from his forehead, not even like holding a towel or something against it. And we were like, what the, what is going on? And he's like, I'm in rough shape. And so we like went and found the first aid box and stuff. And we were just like, what are we doing here? Uh, And then Dan was just like shaking his head and he was like, let's just go rent some sense or something. And we're like, okay. <laughs> so he just like, he didn't want to sit through another really boring drum day. Uh, so we started recording synths, like, or just like playing around, maybe not even recording. Um, on day two, when like half the songs weren't even tracked yet. 
So, yeah, it sort of shook things up a little bit. It allowed us to have a bit of fun. Um, yeah, it was great to work with Dan in general. Um, he definitely made it more enjoyable, kept us from killing each other, had a bunch of fun ideas. Did you, had you known him before or was it kind of? Uh, a little bit, but like we played with Wolf Parade before and we played with um, operators before. Right. We were supposed to work with Dan, like, I think in 2016 or 2017 to record Football Money. And it just, like, our plans fell through at the last minute. Like, I think he was too busy, basically, to devote a week recording this band nobody had ever heard of <laughs> or something like that. Or maybe I couldn't get the time off work or something. I don't remember what happened, but it fell through, and, and but we wanted to work together for a while. So it yeah. seemed like now we had time. Stuff. <laughs> it's it's so funny like like i i love hearing that he just kind of you know threw you for a loop a little bit of of kind of recording backwards in a, in a sense of, of of wanting to like mess around on synths rather than you know doing drum and bass and stuff like how how records usually built you know <laughs> like i don't know it, it it almost seems like the you know, the loss of blood or, or the head injury kind of switched up his recording practices in some ways. It's like, it made me think of like that scene in 30 rock where Liz Lemon is, is trying to meet with like an adoption agent played by Megan Mullally. And she gets like a, like a traumatic head injury and just forgets, you know, like the process of doing the adoption. <laughs> like, like, um, I don't know. Like, did it, did it seem like, like that situation did it put you off guard did it kind of make you look at making the record differently in some ways i don't know i mean we were working in a new studio too that we've never been in before and we were working with dan which we've never done and um the engineer as well we'd never worked with so everything was a little um new to us in general making this record uh, and yeah getting things out of order was fun just because like it's i don't know you don't want to spend like three days just doing like the most boring bed tracks yeah. and then because on day four you're gonna just be like okay here's my guitar part as usual <laughs> and you, you're just gonna kind of make a boring record i feel like um so i don't know yeah it was fun um so that was just like some of the synth parts like um uh, like the extra sees the film that kind of um, arpeggiated synth part and um, kind of like the cars tone on the Moog that was on all in day two. We just decided to do that stuff. So it did kind of shape how the record sounded. Um, yeah, I, I, I also read that you kind of wanted it to be Kiwi Jr. at night is, is kind of the, the mantra that you had for it. And it does kind of have like, yeah, like a cars, almost like Michael Mann, Miami Vice kind of like, I don't know, like, or, or drive. I, I just recently watched uh, Michael Mann's Heat. And like, I was thinking about that, you know, Kiwi Jr. at night and, and the synth tones and, and kind of the feel of those kind of movies where it's like at night kind of gangster movie <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, there, there's a lot of... um 
allusion to film on this record as well, like in your lyrics, like, is, is that something that inspired that kind of tone that you wanted? I think, yeah, uh, definitely. Like the playlist that we had, um, to kind of get in the groove or the, the mode that we wanted to be in it was called Michael Mann presents Kiwi junior. <laughs> and it just had a bunch of songs that were like, um, that sort of vibe. Um, but the, there is a bunch of film references on the record and people have been pointing that out to me. And that wasn't really something that I sought to do on purpose, but, um, it, it definitely exists. And I think it's probably just be, because I was watching a lot of TV and listening to a lot of podcasts and stuff, um, because I was working from home and just being at home all the time. Uh, yeah, it, it did, it did sort of just all come out. Yeah. It is funny, like given this point in time and, and, uh, and I, I guess what we've all been forced to do, like it, it feels like at this point, like, you know, film seeping into records or film seeping into lyrics and, and stuff like that. It's like not that much of a unique influence anymore. It's just something that we all do. Like, I feel like we all just watch like a movie a day or, you know, just yeah. because of what we're forced to do. Do you, is, is that kind of how it's been for you? Like, have you just been watching a lot of movies and TV that way? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I feel like like people going out less in general, myself included, you know, like since 2020. Uh, and so, yeah, there's just a lot more home time. And, um, yeah, watching a lot of TV, stuff like that, I guess. That's not a pretty, that's not a unique thing, though. I think everybody is doing that. Like, all everybody talks about is TV. If you, like, run into people you haven't seen in a while, they're just like, what are you watching lately? Like, what what TV <laughs> exactly. do you like? Yeah. It, and, yeah, as, as much as we try, you know, it's like, you know, we can talk about work for maybe five minutes, but then it's like the rest of our days are just, like, sitting on the couch and watching shit, you know? Yeah, it's, it's weird. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I'm kind of. It sucks too because I I feel like it really, as to where it used to be like a little treat for myself, you know, being like, oh, I'm gonna like watch a movie tonight or something like that. Like now, it's like I've lost that relationship where now I feel like I need like I just it's just part of my routine, you know. <laughs> like it's not like a little. <laughs> like fun escape anymore it's yeah, just like it's right, fun and <laughs> it's fun until it isn't um do you know what's weird though it's like they took the tvs or the screens out of most planes oh they did oh right yeah because like, like in canada like... anyway yeah i don't know if they did everywhere but like the last probably five flights i've been on i got no screen yeah i i, I forgot what airline it is but one of the airlines has like it's like a phone, like you download. They're all an like app. that. They're all doing yeah. that. Like Air Canada is, I think Delta or no United is, because I used to have the United app just for that reason. <laughs> yeah. Like if I really just want to burn my battery in thirty five minutes, watch like yeah, half hour of one movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't understand that pivot at all. 
Well, it's something that happens across all industries now where they take something you're used to and they make it like a VIP access thing. And if you pay like $50 more, you, you can get that, right? Like, <laughs> like YouTube used to work on your phone. You could minimize it and it would still play the song. And then they took that away and they were like, get YouTube music to avoid this for $10 a month. And they yeah. still have the screens in business class in the airplanes. You just got to pay for it. It's this little trick they do to increase profit. Yeah. A guy I mean, comes in and says, like, what do people like about your service? Get rid of it and make them pay more for it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny with, like, this whole HBO Discovery merger, how HBO is just kind of losing, you know, like, all of the everything is just getting wiped and people are freaking out about all these things that they knew and love that were on, on the platform. And, and it's just like, people forget that you could also just buy the physical media and that's what you should be doing <laughs> in a lot of ways, but. Yeah. But then you end up with a bunch of DVDs and your girlfriend's mad that you just have like a mall rats DVD in your living room. <laughs> yeah. And it's not a great look for company. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like, yeah, just like seasons of Dragon Ball Z, you know, just like hanging out like on a shelf or something. Yeah, and then you look 13. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, It would be funny, though, if like the Delta app had like the best catalog of any of these streaming platforms, though, and you could just download it on your, your smart TV or something. And, you know, like... they should do that, honestly. Like airlines should get into that record because they, I find they do have like old movies in ways that like Netflix doesn't have classic movies anymore. Do you remember there used to be like a category on Netflix that was classics and it would have like a bunch of movies from like the forties and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think Hulu before there was a criterion channel, Hulu had all the criterion selections yeah. for a while. Now you type in classics on Netflix and you get like, you get like. Leon the Professional. <laughs> I know. I was going to say like, maybe like Unforgiven. It's like that movie came out in like 1990 or something. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> it's probably like, I don't know. It's it's probably like a Ryan Reynolds action movie from 2010 or something, you know, at this point. <laughs> yeah, but. They should do that because the planes have a lot of, uh, do you know what's funny about the airline uh, screens too? Is like, you're looking through TV shows and you'd be like, oh, great. Curb Enthusiasm or something is on here. Watch the new season of that. And it'll be like three episodes from the middle of the season. Yeah. Do you, do you find that ever? You can't yeah, just like yeah. start a show on the plane. <laughs> yeah. Like exactly. drops you right in the middle of it. It, it almost like mirrors the disorienting aspect of flying in a way where it's like, you know, like it feels like a weird fever dream to be up in the air and just like off balance. Yeah. You know? You're like, Maybe well, I guess I'm going to start this TV show Atlanta that everybody likes on season two, episode six through eight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll catch up. I'll, I'll figure it out, you know, at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, why am I talking so much about this? What were we talking about? I don't know. I, I guess like just just our relationships with 
you know, watching things in general, it's, it, it just feels, it doesn't feel special anymore, you know? And, and, uh, I guess, I guess how it relates to your writing in, in some ways, like, like how I think you were saying that, it, you know, you didn't really think about it. It just kind of happened. Yeah. That part of it. Yeah. Just some film stuff just happened. That was, you know, some stuff's intentional, some stuff's not. And that, that was just one of those natural things that happened. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's funny. I, I reviewed the record chopper for, um, for pace magazine a while back. And, um, the way I listen, it's, it's funny, like to, you know, to review a record and then talk to the person that makes it, because I feel like the way I listen to things is, is pretty similar to how most people listen to it. But then when I get like a, like where I'm very passive and, and I engage when in, in the lyrics and in other aspects of it, when it, you know, it just sneaks up on me, you know, if, if I'm able to just kind of take time with something, but then when I'm like given a homework assignment, I have to be like, Oh, what does this person mean? Like what, what do these lyrics mean? And have to like really try and find meaning. But I love your lyric writing so much because it, it reminds me a lot of, of people uh, that I grew up listening to like, uh, like David Berman, like Stephen Malcolmus and, and even like Jason Lytle of granddaddy, like were all those people kind of formative writers for you growing up? No, I don't know who Granddaddy is. Oh, really? I mean, I know the name. I think I heard one song once, but I wouldn't have known that guy. Um, but yeah, um, you know, big Silver Juice fan. Was a big Pavement fan in college. Um, you know, all that stuff. GBV. Um, yeah, I don't listen to that much stuff now um but that was definitely formative stuff for me in my 20s like early 20s like teens and stuff but yeah. i can't i don't really put on like a rock record no while i'm making eggs no <laughs> well i i feel like the way and correct me if i'm wrong i, I probably am wrong but um you know a similarity that you have to someone like like David Berman or, or Robert Pollard is where I feel like on initial listens, a lot of your lyrics can kind of feel like non sequiturs strewn together, but there is like a larger meaning meaning, like when you kind of piece everything together and, and you really kind of pick, you know, you kind of heighten like mundane things in everyday life that, you know, uh, aren't very non sequitur, but they're, they're just kind of like, I don't know. I, I, I guess regular things that maybe people generally don't talk about. <laughs> is, is that fair? People keep using, this isn't, I'm not mad or anything, but people frequently when reviewing our records use the term non sequitur. Yeah. And I don't know, like, what they're talking about really like when i'm writing a song i'm like in my mind each line goes into the next for a reason mm -hmm. and somebody was asking me recently like if i used like decoupage like if i just cut up words you know put, <laughs> put them in order that's so and i was like <laughs> it's like it's, it's so like i don't up. spend like a year working on something put it out um 
just to have somebody ask me if it was random and meaningless and like yeah you yeah know. like not considered yeah yeah that's so fucked uh so i don't feel that way when people say non sequitur but i don't know like well yeah i don't know i i'm with this record like i wrote most of the song titles first and then wrote the lyrics about that you know basically from the title down um, as a way to ground it on something. Uh, for the most part, I think there was maybe two songs, maybe the last two songs had music first. Um, but yeah, like, um, I don't know, I could tell you what <laughs> every song's about, but it would yeah. probably be boring. Well, it's, uh, it's funny, it's funny, though, you know, about the non sequitur thing, because I'm a, I'm a huge guided by voices fan. And I, that's something that like, I always take issue when people, you know, either make fun of Pollard's writing style or, or kind of, you know, yeah, like kind of use that kind of terminology with his writing where I, I kind of think it's, it, yeah, it, it takes time for that kind of poetry to kind of hit you in, in a way. And maybe because of, you know, how frequently he tosses off things and, and how maybe predictable he is. Like, it's easy to kind of parody it. You know, yeah. People also, like, if you write a song just with, like, I don't know, interesting words that you might not hear in everyday pop songs, people are like, wow, like, very surreal, surrealist <laughs> yeah. lyrics. Yeah. What are you it's talking like, about? Yeah, right. <laughs> but i don't know like i i i don't see so many of the songs on on this record you know like parasite 2 uh extra sees the film like i i kind of see this like intense like like the characters you write about or or at least what you're writing about kind of it brings to mind kind of like a loss of, of purpose or, or just kind of like a frustration and trying to like, you know, uh, or a frustration in not achieving like the main character yeah, kind right. of that you wanted to portray in your life is, was that something that you yeah for sure kind of wanted to write about? Yeah. Some people call it like protagonist syndrome. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, Definitely. That stuff also just sort of came about because um, I was trying to, I really made an effort on this one, maybe to be a little less snotty of a writer. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I was, I was working on these songs and I had most of the lyrics ready and um, I sent them to um, John Sampson from the Weaker Thens. Mm -hmm. to see if he would help me basically <laughs> or tell me if i was doing good work or bad work i mean uh, that's that's a pretty good that's a pretty good uh person to judge on that <laughs> yeah and um for the most part he was, said i was doing good work um so then i just i had a big sigh of relief because i don't know i felt like the writing on this record is pretty different than the last two and I was using a bit of a different voice for the most part. And so I was a little nervous about how that would, how it was going um, because I hadn't, you know, shown anyone the lyrics or anything. Uh, so yeah, right before going into the studio, I talked with him 
and then Dan was a big help too uh, in the studio. Uh, there's a couple of lyrics that changed in the studio <laughs> because of Dan. Uh, there was a really good moment where I was singing the song Clerical Sleep. It's got that line about one million dollars in it at the end. And I, was I, in, I, I love, yeah, I love that line so much. So I was doing that. And then uh, Dan holds a big piece of paper up to the glass that has the words $2 million written on it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, that's a better one. So we changed $1 million to $2 million. <laughs> anyway, I kind of, yeah, I kind of told that anecdote with a whole lot of holes in it. So people probably don't know what I'm talking about, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah, it's that that's the line about um the guy with like the most advanced prosthetic, right? Or Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So good. Um well, that's that's interesting. I mean I've I I can kind of see that. I can kind of see like the lyrical shift between this record and the last two. But I guess what kind of made you want to pivot in that way like why why did you kind of feel like you were maybe on a a track you didn't want to be on as a lyricist uh i think just because the first record football money was written in like 2015 or 16 you know i was 25 um and i was just in a i was kind of just a different writer then and then the second record came out last year and most of those songs were written right around that same time as well, except for a couple new ones like um, uh, Made Marion's Toast uh, and Dodger. And so those two for me um, fit more with the new record than they do on Cooler Returns personally. But And those are probably my two favorite songs off that second record. Uh, so I just kind of wanted to maybe keep going a little bit more in that direction. Yeah. And, and you were saying you you know, you used to listen to pavement a lot in college. I mean, I guess were you were you definitely listening to more of that kind of stuff back then when you were writing that early stuff and, and listen to different stuff now? Is is that kind uh, of no, I like I don't even think I was listening to a lot of like college rock stuff at that time. It's funny when the band started, um, I was so done with rock music like real like you know distortion pedals and stuff that we were like we're gonna be a really quiet kind of twee band we were wanted i wanted to make like like a later beat happening record and uh it was a three-piece and the drummer our drummer Brown would put towels over his drums to make them really quiet um and we played a couple shows like that and then just kept getting louder and louder. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but no, that was still the headspace when we were writing the songs was like kind of I wanted to do like, a you know, pastels like beat happening, maybe like postcards records kind of thing. And that just didn't happen once the band got louder. Yeah, I I mean, you play a 12-string, too. I mean, was that kind of also a part of that, like, like I'm going to play a 12-string so it has this sound deliberately? So w was that kind of like a restriction you put on yourself as well? Well, the band started and I was playing a six-string, and um, it was just a three-piece, and it sounded kind of 
boring. And so I, I just like went and bought a 12 string. I always wanted one, but I bought one. And I was like, I think this would make the band sound cooler. I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't, this isn't some, you know, great engineering feat, Kiwi Jr. It's just like letting things happen and make, you know, uh, there was no great blueprints being drawn up. I just went and bought the guitar because I thought it would be cool. <laughs> It's it's funny. I right before I saw y'all play, I I saw this other band, Country Westerns, who they're oh yeah yeah they're so good. But um, their guitarist also plays twelve strings. No, he's got a few of them. Yeah, and and the show I saw, it went horribly wrong. Like he, oh no, like I, like I think he broke like multiple strings on one of his guitars, and you know he was just having like a tough time tuning everything. But they they were still great. But is that a pit like a pitfall playing 12 strings on the road? No. No. <laughs> that like no, depends on your guitar if it stays in tune or not. Mine does for the most part. So um and if you break the string you still got 11 more, you're fine. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it is just like a big wash when you play chords on a 12 string. Yeah. You recently tweeted about uh listening to like Kathleen Edwards. Uh who uh who I I love uh I I think she's so underrated as a songwriter. Have you have you been kind of getting into that kind of like alt country kind of songwriting lately? Like, am I writing songs like that? You mean, or, or am just, I listening just, to that kind of music? List, listening to that kind of stuff, writing that kind of stuff, whatever. Not writing anything, let alone country stuff. But um, yeah, I, I like I listen to. I don't know country and all country and stuff like that all the time. Um, like I'm not at home listening to like pavement and the strokes and stuff that like <laughs> people think I am. Uh, no, like, you know, big uh, Lucinda fan, big Jackson Brown, Gordon Lightfoot guy. Um, I just I'm, watched I, that. I just watched that Gordon Lightfoot documentary. Oh, uh, the CBC have you, one. Yeah. Have you, have you He's seen a, it? Yeah. It's, it's pretty great i wasn't expecting like greg graffin from bad religion to show up in it <laughs> i was just like oh i guess that makes sense but and he's like driving around points at the drake billboard <laughs> yeah. he's like i can he's like i can see why he's so successful <laughs> yeah i mean i guess yeah like it's yeah it, it was it was such a wild documentary it was it was so funny like yeah, just him being a Drake fan was such a weird revelation. <laughs> yeah, I don't I wonder how much I wonder how much uh Drake he's listening to at home. Maybe <laughs> yeah. his grandkids are, I don't know. Yeah. Um but yeah, so so you kind of yeah. Like I I'm kind of the same way. I I I listen, I feel like I write a lot about about like I write a lot about indie rock, but I feel like I'm mostly listening to like hip hop and metal. You know, yeah. All the time. I think as you get older, you go into those places too. Like if you're, like I said earlier, if you're making eggs and you're like putting on, I don't know, the same teenage fan club album that you've listened to like 4,000 times since you were 18, 
you got yeah. might want to spice things up a little bit. Put on some George Strait or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's a, it's also like like I'm 35 and and you know I I don't I don't really put on like Black Flag records anymore, you know, or something like that. It's just like. But even like, I don't need to hear a single Beatles song again for the rest of my life. Like, I've heard that stuff so many times. But like, you know, if someone puts puts on like, sometimes there's a bar that we used to go to, haven't gone recently, but there's a jukebox, like one of those digital jukeboxes. You can pick like any song ever. And like, we'll be there and somebody just puts on like, uh, what's an example? I can't think of it. So stupid. <laughs> but but someone put on like um, Thin Lizzy, Boys Are Back in Town. Great song. But if you're going to that Thin Lizzy record, just pick a different song. Yeah. I, I, it's funny though, because like, I feel like, like Thin Lizzy aren't an obscure band. They're, I mean, they're one of my favorite bands ever. But okay. yeah, I'm a huge Phil Linnet, just nut. But, uh, you know, I, I fall into this trap all the time where I get so annoyed at people like who would do something like that, who would pick like boys are back in town or something and don't pick like, you know, uh, Romeo and the lonely girl or something like that off, off, uh, off that record. But like, uh, you know, I, I, I should be more grateful that someone went for it anyways, rather than like like, making fun of them for like not picking an obscure thing <laughs> i'm definitely not making fun i'm just kind of like why don't you just go outside to your car turn on k-rock or whatever it is and yeah. within 20 minutes you can hear hotel california for free yeah, exactly. you don't have to waste your jukebox credits on it yeah exactly i don't know it's it's funny like um i hate those bars that have touch tune that's what this is this is what i'm talking about yeah, where it's yeah. it's not even like the scrollable jukebox anymore with the CDs. No, you know, it's like just purely digital. Big... Yeah, but the th- uh, the annoying thing about that is how the um, the prices are tiered. Like I don't <laughs> know if you noticed, but if you wanted to put on a non Boys Are Back in Town Thin Lizzy song, it's going to cost you three or four credits. But if you want to put on the singles. Those are like one or two credits, right? Yeah. And is, isn't it like... Why? Why are they... like? <laughs> why well, Why is it cheaper to play the famous song? It should be more, if anything. And I always I always hate it too. Like you'll, you'll make some picks and then someone will waste like five credits to play their song ahead of yours or cut yours short. Oh, you can like do that? that? Yeah. A friend of mine got the, the, the app on his phone and... Uh, he realized that I think he could do it. Um, you don't have to be on the the house Wi-Fi. Like <laughs> really? you, you could still connect to it like down the street. And so he That's just kept, amazing. He, he, was, he had like 10 credits left or something. So he just like queued up the same song three or four times. <laughs> I, had, I had this old coworker who I used to go like at this old job that I had where we would go you know, like drinking together and stuff. And we would go to bars and he, his pick would always be heard it through the grapevine by CCR. Yeah. Just Cause it's like, it's like 19 12... minutes. <laughs> yeah. 
I think, yeah, his excuse was like, yeah, it's like 13 minutes long and every minute is good or something like that. It's like, sure, great. Uh, Mike in the band, bass player, used to do that and put on um, Street Hassle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's all, how long is that? That's also pretty long. Yeah, that's that's really long. Isn't it like nine minutes or? Yeah, it's something yeah. like that. <laughs> gonna check. I don't know. It's like, yeah, man, it's over 10 minutes. It's 11 oh minutes God. long. So that's how you get your bang for your buck at the touch tunes. Yeah. You, you gotta pick the long song <laughs> that nobody likes. Right. You do like metal machine music or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I had, I had like some bartender friends who they had certain records, you know, when they were closing up, when it was like last call and stuff, they would have records that they would use to clear the bar. Oh yeah. And, and, and I had a friend who used to use metal machine music to do that. Really? Like that or that are swans or something like that. <laughs> Just like really abrasive. I feel like that'd be cool to drive me out. You'd put on like, I don't know. I was going to say something like uh, there was this place that my friend used to work and uh, it was like a corporate mandated playlist that they had to have on all the time. Oh, really? <laughs> and I couldn't be there for more than like 10 minutes because the music was really loud, but it was also like, it was like pop hits from the late nineties, early two thousands. So there'd be like little Bow Wow song will come on followed by, you know, like, <laughs> NSYNC and stuff which like I, I can stomach a lot of that stuff I'm not like you know some anti-pop rock and roll purist or anything like that um, but just when it's really loud yeah that, that stuff can drive me crazy I used to go to this when I lived in New York we used to go to this bar all the time that had a no music policy for the longest time like they would just because it was all like it was all musicians who were bartenders there so they would just have no music so you know, people could like take a break from great. just being bombarded by all that stuff. Yeah. But then, <laughs> then they just started, I think one of the co-owners of the bar was little Steven from, <laughs> <laughs> so they ended okay. up just only playing his like serious radio station, but they would blast it. So it was just like, it went from being this beautiful thing, like beautiful, just kind of hang to the most like, like yeah. annoying getting getting uh to hear the rascals five times in <laughs> yeah, a couple I was, hours i was just about to say that <laughs> yeah um so so i guess you know you you just i i just saw you and and i don't know if you've done much touring since but are you is kiwi jr going out again or are you working on new stuff or i guess what's what's next well we're going to europe in a few weeks um we got a tour there, um, but we don't have that U.S. tour or anything else lined up at the moment, no. Nice. So um, I'm sure there will be more dates, but I don't have dates booked or in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, didn't come, cool. I didn't come prepared to plug. Oh, it's, that's I fine. That's I don't fine. got my stuff together. <laughs> have, you, um, have you done much touring in Europe? No, I've never been. Oh, that's awesome. Are you yeah. are you doing kind of like a full full thing or are you just kind of hitting certain countries? Yeah, it's like um UK, France, Germany, Belgium, 
Netherlands. I think oh, that's yeah. it. So it's it's like ten shows or something like that. So it's not all month, but yeah, hitting a few places anyway. Oh, nice. Well, that's gonna be great. Well, yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for doing this, Jeremy. Um, I I don't want to take up too much of your time, but yeah. Thanks again. No, I'm sorry. I'm late. <laughs> oh, it's, I, it's... I owe you still 15 minutes. <laughs> it's all good. Don't worry. <laughs> all right. Nice meeting you. Take care. Yeah, you too, Pat. See you. Bye.